Australia's tourism sector was going great guns before the pandemic, but obviously it took a massive hit when the borders were closed. When flights resumed, it seems Australians couldn't wait to get overseas. But what about inbound tourism? How quickly is that bouncing back? Is there as much hunger for travel experiences on our own turf? And does that make tourism a good investment right now? We'll look at that today. The Morning Call from NAB with Phil Dobby. Weekend edition. So the tourism sector is climbing back after the pandemic, but it is taking a while. So it is now a good time to be investing in the industry. Of course, that all depends on what the future growth trajectory looks like. So let's get the lay of the land with Samantha Palmer. She's general manager of Austrade's Visitor Economy and Client Programs Division. So, Samantha, I mean, bouncing back, that term might be a bit of an exaggeration. If I've got these figures right, visitor arrivals in 2022 were almost 3.7 million. Sounds okay, but in 2019, we were getting up to 9.5 million. We were basically hitting new highs, weren't we? We absolutely were. And, you know, the great news is that the Tourism Research Australia forecasts that we issued in December show that international arrivals will return and break that record in 2025 and the spend by internationals will break that previous 2019 record in 2024. So things are looking good. Okay, well, that is a bounce back then, isn't it? I'll take all that back. That is a pretty fast recovery. Look, just to give you some perspective, I I worked for the Australian Tourist Commission as it was back then in London in the late 80s. John Morse was in charge of of Europe back then. I think he went on to become the CEO of uh, Tourism Australia. we were very excited then when uh, visitor arrivals hit two million. So that is how much, you know, from two to nine and a half or ten and beyond, that is how much the Australian tourism industry has changed. Oh, absolutely. And from 2008-9 to 2018-19, we were growing at a much faster rate in terms of our contribution to GDP than any other sector. And, um, and that was really being driven by a variety of factors, including the great work that Tourism Australia does to market and create demand for Australia. And we have some really big markets like China, who only just recently opened their borders. And therefore, you know, if you look at those visitor arrivals you were just quoting from November, they're still only at 35% of their pre-COVID level. They've got a long way to go. Yet even at that low level, they're our number four returning market with almost 500,000 visitors up to uh, November. So they're a big market with a big amount of growth to come. So China is number one for us. And is it a is it a high spending market? Because, of course, the ideal is to have, you know, people coming who are perhaps not going to be as big a footprint on the country, but spending lots of money. I mean, let's be honest about it. We, we, we want high spending people <laughs> who don't spend too long in the country. <laughs> well, actually, so China is a very big spending market. Uh, they, um, they're they a really valuable market for us. New Zealand is our number one visitor arrival market, but their spend is, of mm. course, per head. Um, they're spending less time because they're very close when they're here. But we have lots of high wealth individuals coming from New Zealand very regularly to go to arts, theatre, shopping, sporting activities, events. I'm sure some will be coming to Taylor Swift soon. Uh, and so it's really about looking at the different countries and what opportunities they have and how we do think about that sustainable tourism, as, as you've said, um, and really trying to target those, those high spending um, markets. Yeah, so it's interesting you mentioned Taylor Swift. I mean, it used to be, and I think that that's behind us now, isn't it? Maybe because the market's matured. It used to be a lot of it used to be events driven. You know, come to Australia for the for the bicentennial, for example. Show we were completely showing my age now, <laughs> uh, or come for the come for the Olympics. 
but it feels like we don't need to do that quite so much now. We, we the, the, you know, the product is Australia. People want to come here. They love the lifestyle. They love the, uh, you know, the, there's obviously uh, enough tourist attractions to keep them happy. But it's really, it's 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 the climate. It's the it's the landscape. It's the people, isn't it? Well, and th- when we think about travel and tourism too, we do have a tendency to think about holidays and per days. You know, if you think about spend per day, holiday is our our high spend, um, high earning, high income um, level in the visitor economy. But there are other types of travel as well. Of course, there's business travel, people who are coming here for um, for meeting with clients, for making um, trade deals, for attending events and conferences. They're very high spending as well. And of course, it's the onus is on us as a country to think about how we can manage our carbon footprint because many of those businesses, particularly coming from long-haul markets, will need to justify the carbon that they are contributing to the yeah. atmosphere when they come here. So we've, for instance, just issued a um, sustainable tourism uh, strategy and um, framework and a toolkit to help businesses. So business is one area, but also education Part of the reason why we've had tremendous growth in our visitor arrivals over the past decade is due to education. It's a very high income, high earning component because when you travel for education, the students coming here, particularly from China, Nepal, India, uh, Vietnam more so, those markets, they're high spending markets, high wealth um, travellers who bring friends and family to visit those um, kids while they're here, studying at university, sometimes at high school. And so they're coming three to six times over the course of those students actually being here. So there's some market segments like education that contribute a tremendous amount in terms of spend, but also generate other types of travel like holiday and visiting friends and relatives travel. Is there an investment opportunity here? then i'm imagining i mean sadly when the borders closed there will have been a lot of businesses that were very focused on international visitors that just had to shut up shop or if they managed to survive they have come through it all fairly you know laden with hefty debts but i mean there's a lot of upside growth potential now so if if you you know looking at businesses that aren't so laden with debt uh, or even you know gaps that have been left by businesses that have departed is this a good environment right now to be putting money in this industry? It's a tremendous environment. And you can see that when you look at our recovery of visitor arrivals from different markets, the Southeast Asian markets, markets like Vietnam, Philippines, Thailand, Taiwan, they're not our traditional markets. And yet, at least for Vietnam, Philippines and Thailand, they're, they're at 100% of pre-COVID or above 100% of pre-COVID. Um, and the business opportunities with some of those markets also are very interesting because we can tell, for instance, for students that wealthy parents are looking for businesses to buy so that perhaps their, their children who are studying in Australia can look to uh, residents um, in the future, citizenship in the future. So from a business perspective, it's much more than just thinking about the trip, the travel, the spend, but the long-term opportunities. And I was just in Vietnam where, where I spoke to a number of businesses, Vietnamese businesses, who are just doing that, bringing people to Australia, bringing their kids to Australia to study, coming back, looking for businesses to buy because of how, how strong that Vietnamese economy has been growing. So there are other opportunities too. For instance, during COVID, a lot of internationally exposed businesses in travel and tourism pivoted to the domestic market and Australians fell in love with their own country again, particularly regional travel. And we're seeing a lot of opportunity. Three out of 10 tourism businesses in Australia are in the region. So quite a high proportion there and quite a lot of interest in Australians in, in 
um, visiting destinations, looking at accommodation, uh, hospitality, things that they can do in those parts of Australia. So it's not just going to the reef, going to the rock, going to great, uh, going to the iconic destinations <laughs> that we're all used to. Well, you know, yeah. it's funny you should say that because when I was with the Australian Tourist Commission, we used to get criticised for the three R's, as it was called. It was a bit of a joke that it was the reef, the rock, the opera house. That's all we, <laughs> that's all we did. How do you get people into into regional Australia? And that has been a challenge. So, okay, domestically, we did it because we didn't have any choice because yeah. the borders were closed. So let's go and explore our own country. I just wonder whether from an investment point of view, whether that's a bit more shaky ground looking at regional Australia, because those domestic travellers now seem to be the ones who are queuing up at Sydney or Melbourne Airport to make those overseas trips. And it's still very hard, perhaps because we haven't got the stock in terms of product, to get regional uh, Australia to be on the itinerary for a lot of international tourists. And when I talk about the the, the stock, I mean, for example, I'm sure Musclebrook Motor Inn is, is very nice, but will it satisfy those people who spent their first few nights at the Park Hyatt in Sydney, for example? So have we got the product to satisfy people to get into regional Australia, I guess is my question. So the question here is knowing your market. So there are already mm. um, routes and destinations, trips that are being sold by travel agents and, and inbound and outbound operators in Europe, for instance, where we know that German and UK travellers are really good at exploring certain parts of regional Australia and love it for what it brings. So not everybody wants the Hyatt, um, you know, great brand, but not everybody wants that type of um, product in every part of Australia. In fact, that um, special uh, camping, the, the luxury um, camping, the work that's being done in uh, places like um, Uluru Airs Rock Resort, for instance, is part of that response to understanding what's appropriate for your market. Now, if you're going to uh, try to attract those Southeast Asian markets, of course, they have a different service standard. They have different expectations. Um, around Australia, we know that people have fallen in love with nature-based experiences with ecotourism, which doesn't always have to mean expensive. It can be more authentic. Agritourism is growing at a great rate, and it's a great diversification opportunity for those in the agricultural industry. And we see lots of people really loving that. First Nations businesses, people really wanting to engage with the First Nations culture, what is so special and unique about our country. A lot of those businesses, not all, but a lot of them are in regional Australia. That's our point of difference, isn't it? Looking looking forwards, it's not just the beach and the sunshine. It is a more sustainable green Australia and obviously a lot of interest globally in that. And we have a lot to offer in that in that area. We absolutely do. In fact, the very first accreditation scheme for ecotourism uh, run by Ecotourism Australia internationally was made in our own country. So we've got the cred here. Uh, and part of the excitement of building that framework, that sustainable tourism framework I mentioned, was having all the states and territories sign up to it. The tourism ministers signed up to it in November last year and when it was launched. And that means we're all talking the same talk. We all mean the same thing when we talk about it. So that helps reduce greenwashing and it helps us help the individual businesses. It's 358,000 small businesses in Australia that contribute to the visitor economy. And they would really love to be working productively with investors uh, and with partners and in fact, collaboration is one of our core um, themes in our national strategy. And we've seen that they really want to be working together to be really proud and be able to meet the needs of those new markets, particularly in Southeast Asia, closer markets, to make sure that we can keep what we've got traditionally and grow into the future. 
Right, but how do we manage the mismatch between supply and demand on all of this? Because, I mean, even just generally, I mean, the constraint, surely, if people are coming back in such big numbers, is that we are going to be resource constrained, particularly in terms of manpower, for example, even in the capital cities. But then if you look at regional Australia and say, well, there's a big opportunity for the, you know, for new businesses to provide this new eco-adventure within Australia, They've got to establish themselves. They need money to create that demand. The product's got to be there before people come, and that could take perhaps years, even if it's just months. That's that you know. How are they funding themselves in in that early stage of development? Well, this is a great question, and it's so fantastic to see the work of the state and territory tourism bodies in this area. And in fact, almost every week we see new grant schemes being issued, whether it's for specific support for First Nations businesses, agritourism businesses, regional infrastructure enhancements. The Commonwealth Government, of course, has its um, program in terms of its regional grants program, which was revised last year by the Infrastructure Minister and announced. So there's quite a lot of work and we have as one of our policy pillars in the Thrive Strategy, making sure that we have appropriate investment, uh, appropriate infrastructure to support the industry to grow new high quality products that meet the requirements of new markets so we can diversify. So there's, it's, it's really actually quite great to be working with our state and territory colleagues in government and to see the ministers across the states and territories and the Commonwealth working closely together so that we're not duplicating, we're actually working through this national strategy and doing the things that we can do best within our own jurisdictions and our own areas of responsibility. But collaborating and harnessing that energy um, and those opportunities to provide the best that we can for what is Australia's fourth largest export uh, industry, Mm. you know, after iron ore, coal and gas, tourism, travel, the visitor economy, higher education, that's where the action is and that's where one in seven businesses in Australia are working in this area. It's, It's got a lot more opportunity to go. Yeah, and it's small, smaller businesses, I imagine, is the, the opportunity. So I remember um, when I, I worked for the Australian Tourist Commission, I have to admit that I moved to Australia uh, working for the other side. I was the enemy for a while. I was working for the British Tourist Authority in Sydney, trying to get Australians to spend their money in Britain. Uh, I know no shame. Uh, but I know one of the uh, successful campaigns that we ran was Britain's Secret Places, and it worked really well because people love that idea mm. that they are discovering places that nobody else knows about. Yeah. And it feels like, you know, that's the sort of thing that we're going for with Australia now, isn't it? To say, well, okay, we, if, if we have a wealth of tourism operators operating, operating like these new green experiences and people feel as though, particularly from developed markets like uh, like Europe and as you say you know the Germans would love it this idea that you come to the UK uh, to come to Australia oops uh, and you you discover places that you know theoretically no one else knows about I mean that's a that's a very valuable proposition the, the, the tourism Australia you can fill it and you can have that one for free secret places <laughs> well I mean just this uh, you would have seen it just in the last couple of days your listeners would would I'm sure have seen the promotion for the best beaches in Australia very popular. Um, competition mm. promotion that uh, TA run and that does a great job. I, I don't know about you, but for me, I mean, there were businesses on uh, businesses, there were beaches on that list that I've never mm. heard of before. And I put them on my list to say, well, we should be going out and exploring those parts of Australia. And when I'm sure, you know, when you, when you go and travel overseas, quite often you bump into Aussies and they're very proud of talking about where they've been in their own country. And you do more of that, then we can actually generate more economic benefit 
um, for the for the benefit of our own colleagues and citizens and the economy more generally. We owe it to ourselves to explore our own country. And seventy cents, seventy seven cents in every dollar in the visitor economy is spent domestically. And domestically, when we travel, particularly for holidays, uh, we tend to fly and flop. We tend not to spend on experiences. We tend not to do the things that international travellers do. And imagine if we could get domestic travellers to, to just do a bit more for those of us who can afford it, noting the cost of living pressures that many are under. But there are a portion of the population who are continuing to travel and travel well. And so getting that focus in domestically, thinking about how we can turn that market, turn that up a bit, and help us uh, to actually uh, deliver a lot more uh, benefit for Australia. Yeah, well, I mean, b- building up a domestic business that can then be an export business, obviously, is the way forward, isn't it? For for, mm. for smaller businesses, you do need both probably to be to be a success. So, generally, is 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 international tourism is it a is it an, a net earner for us? Are we earning more from overseas visitors than we're spending overseas? Well, I, it's a complicated question. What I'll say is Australians love to travel overseas. Mm. <laughs> and when you look <laughs> when you look at the, the arrivals uh, report, you can see that there is a travel deficit. So, so mm. there are more Aussies coming home than there are travellers coming here. But that's also representative of the fact that more than half of the Australian resident population was born overseas mm. or has a parent who was born overseas. Overseas. So we naturally want to go and visit our family members because so yep. many of us have overseas. And so we're a little bit different um, to a lot of other countries in having this uh, travel deficit. So, of course, we would love Aussies to spend more at home. But the fact of the matter is that the TRA forecasts show that international travel is growing. The growth rate on spend is 6% per year on average over the next five years. And we're expecting it to grow to earnings of $223 billion by 2028. So that's 61% above pre-pandemic, above 2019. So there is a lot of opportunity there. And whilst we've got TA working incredibly hard um, to generate that demand and interest in travelling in Australia, there's work to be done. And we work very closely with quite a lot of our um, stakeholders and representative bodies, and they're working hard to to actually support businesses to understand consumer preferences, to meet those needs and to give themselves the best chance. Right. So, I mean, that is an immense opportunity. And and so the only danger in all of that is that we just don't have the stock that, to meet that demand. There's not enough hotel rooms, tours, whatever it might be mm-hmm. to, satis- to satisfy that demand, which is why it creates such a, a good investment opportunity, I guess. Yeah. And Tourism Australia just released a report called the Tourism um, Investment Monitor. And that looks at investment where we look at product uh, products or projects worth more than $20 million across aviation, arts, recreation, business services and accommodation So those products have to be contributing to the visitor economy. And what we found when we looked is that there were 307 projects worth $56.1 billion uh, in the pipeline, and that's a considerable increase over last year, up 63 projects and $11.8 billion, noting that we did find some mechanisms to actually count more, um, to to find out about more projects. So those things, for instance, will generate in the accommodation, there's 159 projects underway worth $12.2 billion with the potential to add a minimum of 24,300 rooms to the accommodation supply when they're completed. So quite a detailed report, the Tourism Investment Monitor report on the TRA.gov.au website for anyone really interested in looking at 
what's going on. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, look, it's been great talking to you, Samantha. I, I love talking about tourism. I mean, it's, once you've worked in the, the travel industry, everyone will tell you it's in your blood. You can't get it out no matter what you do. So I always enjoy talking <laughs> about it, and particularly when it's such a great news story for Australia. Uh, thanks for having uh, for coming on, Samantha. Thank you for having me, and I'd love to come back anytime. Thank you. Yeah, we'd love to have you back. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. And I tell you, the best Australian holiday I ever had uh, with the family, Lady Elliot Island, uh, which is an eco resort. You just stay, you stay on a on a hut on the beach. You walk across the beach and walk into the water, dive into the underwater, and there you are swimming with turtles. Absolutely incredible experience. There we are. Probably be flooded with people now uh, after that free promotion. Uh, that's it for the weekend edition for this week. Uh, back on Monday morning, of course, with our regular weekday edition of the morning call. I'm Phil Dobby for now. I'll see you then. The weekend edition. 